Well, good morning and greetings in the Master's name. It's so good to be here with each of you this morning. Seems like a while since I've been up here, but I'm thankful for the privilege. As I was seeking the Lord's will on what to lead this morning, what to bring, he kept taking my mind back to the very first sermon I ever preached. It was a sermon that I actually asked to have the privilege of preaching, and it was at Mabel, because we'd been attending there for quite a while, and they were sort of our little congregation. It was a small group, and I just felt like I'd like to preach there instead of in front of this big church at Peak. <laughs> well, they honored that request, and I've never brought that sermon here. It was a little, it's a little bit of the story of what we went through, um, God's faithfulness, what we went through, um, what happened the week of our ordination. And those of you who haven't been through an ordination experience, it's a good and trying time. It's a very spiritually intense week. Um, and I wanted to share that with them, and I felt led to share that message here this morning. And it's pretty much, I studied it again, but it's pretty much the same message as what I brought then. Our text this morning is John 14, verses 1 to 14. You can be turning there. This conversation or discourse is taking place right after Judas Iscariot had left to betray Jesus. And he was talking to Peter, but also to the other disciples and ultimately down through the ages to us. And I want to actually start the text at verse 36. And I meant, I'm sorry I meant to say this earlier. Thank you to the ones that are listening on the phone. Several of you told me you'd be listening and be praying for me for this morning. And I really appreciate that. We as ministry cannot do what we do without your prayers. That's just a given. We couldn't. Thank you for those prayers and your support. Let's look at verses start with John 13 verse 36 just gives a little backdrop for the text Simon Peter said unto him Lord whither goest thou Jesus answered him whither I go thou canst not follow me now but thou shalt follow me afterwards Peter said unto him Lord why cannot I follow thee now I will lay down my life for thy sake Jesus answered him wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. And whether I go, ye know. And the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. 
From henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. As a believer for years, this passage has been dear to me, and especially in a very intense spiritual time, there's some very incredible promises in, that, in this passage. The name of the message is In the Name of Jesus. And what I'd, what I'd like for us to grapple with and get a hold of this morning, and I'm not sure we can truly do it, I don't know that I really fully understand it myself. But the power that is available in the name of Jesus. And the battle that we are in was Satan trying to destroy the name of Jesus. And Jesus is giving Peter and Thomas and the other disciples here, and us also, He's trying to help them understand who he is and the power that he, that is in his name. Let's go back and go through this, this passage, starting with verse 1, chapter 14, verse 1. He's, Jesus is telling Peter, now remember he had just told Peter that he's going to deny him. But he said, Peter, don't let your heart be troubled. You know, if you and I could look, up, look forward through our lives and knew how many times we were going to do things that weren't the way they should be, and maybe in some way even deny Christ at times, I think our hearts would have been, if we would be told what Peter was told, what would, how would that make us feel? But Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. And I'd, I'd like to pass that on to you all this morning. We face, we're going to face some trying times. We're going to face some really hard times, and I think they're going to multiply and get worse as, as, as we look at the world around us and, the, and it seems like just the absolute decay around us. We're going to face some hard times, but don't let your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Peter was confused. All these things are... He just had that discourse with Judas. Somebody's going to betray Jesus. Judas had just left. The disciples were, and then Jesus is talking about going away. And Peter was confused. And Jesus is saying, don't worry about that, Peter. Don't let your heart be troubled. It'll be okay. And he's, then he gives a key why. He says, believe in God, believe in me. Now, 
For the Jews, as we, most of us have understand, for the hard part about salvation was accepting who the Messiah is. That Jesus was the Messiah. That he was God in the flesh. And today that is still a big issue for people. I mean, there's all kinds of, of uh, manipulations of truth to try to get around Jesus being God. The truth that he was 100% man and 100% God is just people have a hard time getting hold of that. But Jesus is saying, Peter, you believe in God. Believe in me. Now, the Jews grappled with believing who Jesus was. They believed in God. The world over, people believe in God. History proves it. As you go, as you look at, at civilizations and, and uh, all around the world, everybody seems like they worship something or someone. They, either they have an idol, they have a... Humanity believes in a higher power. Numbers prove it. According to sociologist Phil Zuckerman, there was a broad estimate of those who have an absence of a belief in a higher deity. All right, those who do not believe that there's any higher deity. And it's an estimate. But the world over, they seemed, it, they, the numbers they came up with was somewhere between 500 and 750 million people worldwide. Flat, just there's nothing more, nothing higher than humanity. And that sounds like a big number. But it's not. Five to seven hundred million, 750 million people isn't that many when you consider the fact that in 2018 the population of the earth was 7 billion 655 million 957,369 people roughly so that means that less than one tenth of one percent of people do not honestly do not believe that there is a deity above humanity almost all humanity believes in something greater than themselves. Now, we as Christians have been taught, brought up, we have clear understanding. I mean, there's so much around us that proves that there's a God. We understand that. There's a God. We were created. We are a product of his imagination. If you want to say it that, that way, humanity is a product of God's creativity. The world is a product of, Christ, of God's creativity. The question is, do we understand who Jesus is? Do we understand the power that he has made available to us through his name? Let's go to verses 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus, right up front, in trying to get his disciples to make the leap from believing that he was a man to truly understanding that he was God in fullness, he says, right up front, he says, here's the reward for that belief. I'm going to prepare you a place. Believe in me so that you can come be part of that. He's saying the same thing to us. Believe in me so that you can be part of that reward. 
But how do we get there? Thomas obviously was confused. We go on down through verses 4 through 6. Thomas says, we don't know the way. Thomas was still thinking of Jesus setting up an earthly kingdom and being a ruler here on earth. And he just couldn't quite get a hold of who Jesus really was. And then Jesus goes on to explain to Thomas and to us who he was and that there's only one way to find the Father, to find this reward, and that is through him. But have you ever been like Thomas and wondered, what is God doing in my life? What is, where's God taking me? Where are we going with this? All these things that just happened in their lives, and it's, what's the answer? Where, and if they'd have known what was going to have transpire in the next 48 hours, they'd have been really confused until Christ resurrected and showed himself to them. We're a little bit the same way sometimes. Why are these things happening? I know I am. But again, you go back to the first of the chapter. Don't let your heart be troubled. God has it all in control. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Believe in who Jesus is and the power in his name. The Jews didn't have direct access to God. And that's why Jesus came. They believed in God, but they did not have direct access to God. When we accept Jesus for who he is, then we have access to the Father. Looking in reverse, we see now, we understand better what imputed righteousness is. That when you become a believer, you are clothed in God's righteousness. And that is a struggle for a sinful humanity to believe that we have been forgiven, to believe that our sins are cleansed, and to believe that we have access to come to God personally. It is only through Jesus and the, the imputed righteousness that he brings to us. Have you ever thought about what it would be like if Jesus had not come? I've just a little bit of thinking about that. What, what, had Je- what if Jesus had not come? Most of us don't have a lot of Jewish blood in us. Most of us would have had a very little chance of joining the Jewish religion, if you want to say it that way. But Jesus made a way that you and I can be as close to the Father as any Jew ever could be. It's almost beyond what we can understand if you really stop and process what he did. Let's look at verses 7 to 11. Jesus is telling them, if you had known me, you'd known the Father. And he's saying, from now on, since I've told you this, in other words, You've seen the Father because you've seen me. You've seen what the Father does. Jesus was a representation of God to humanity. Philip didn't understand that Jesus was an exact representation of the Father, so Jesus was explaining that. But do we understand that? What is our mental 
picture of Jesus versus our mental picture of God. God, to me, can seem a little bit of a mysterious being. And then Jesus, well, we understand because we can read his miracles and his words. And, but remember, he was God. That's who God is. Jesus was a representation of God to mankind. He was God in the flesh. So let's take that a little further. We're called Christians, right? We are little Christs. That means you and I have the privilege of showing the world who God is. How do we get there? That seems too great of a challenge to even think that we that's a possibility that I could represent God. To humanity. And you can't do it. I cannot do it. Outside of the power in the name of Jesus. Him bridging that gap for us between God and humanity. Him doing what he did for us so that we could have him dwelling within us. His Holy Spirit within us. Are we, am I, a representation of the Father to the people around me? And can people tell who Jesus is because of my life? What a challenge to me. And a challenge I'd like to leave with the congregate with you is our success as an outreach church, which I like to think of us as a mission-minded church. Our success as an outreach church or whatever ministry God has called you to, if it's going to be successful, it is solely dependent on this one thing. It is God working through you and that being evident to the people around you. If Jesus hadn't been an exact representation of the Father to, the, to us, would have his ministry worked? That's why he came, to show us who the Father was and to make a way for us to, to meet the Father. So if we then don't fulfill our role of being who we should be, how can people see God? Our success as, a, as an outreach church is solely dependent on God working through us and that being evident to the people around us. Verse 10, words and works. Both are from the Father. Which one's more important? I would say neither. They're of equal value. You know, we like to capitalize on what Jesus did, the miracles he did. But the works came from the Father, so did the words. Look at verse 10. Let me read that. Um, the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. So Jesus rolled words and works right into one. It's, it's all the same to him. What we say, what we do, what he said and what he did, he put it all in the same playing field. It's all on the same level. 
Jesus' oneness with the Father was so complete that words spoken and miracles performed were all the same to him. They weren't one higher or better than the other. We like to, we like to think that, man, if, if we could see those miracles, oh, that would just be awesome. And it'd be easier to believe if we could see Jesus, you know, raising someone from the dead. In Jesus' mind, it didn't make any difference. It was all the same. It was work. It was what the Father was doing through him. Are we satisfied with what the Father is doing through us? Or do we wish, man, if we could just heal a lame man in church, then maybe people would believe? Not really. The miracles and his words, all that he did, were simply an outpouring of what God was doing in his life, of God working in him. And think about it. Miracles changed one person. When Jesus healed the lame man, it changed a lame man. How many lives has Jesus' words changed? If Jesus had only done miracles, what would we have to go by? They were important to prove who Jesus was. But his words were just as precious and just as important as his works. His words are continuing to change lives today. So which were greater, his works or his words? Neither. It took both. And verse 12 says, greater works than these. Let me read it. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. I believe at the camp out, we were having a, a couple of us are having a conversation a little bit about this. Greater works than Jesus? What? How could you and I do greater works than Jesus? He says, because I'm going to my Father, you're going to do even greater works. Now, I don't know. I don't understand how, what all that means. But there is some things that I found that, as I study this, that really, yeah, he was right. There's a quote from Matthew Henry. It says, Christ had healed with the hem of his garment. We remember that story where the lady touched his garment. She wanted healing and she was healed. But Peter healed. People were healed because Peter's shadow touched them. Paul, by the handkerchief that had touched him. Christ wrought miracles for two or three years in one country. But his followers wrought miracles in his name for many ages, ages in diverse countries. So, was that first fulfilled? I say yes. It was and is being fulfilled, even today. And besides all that, once Jesus had left, the miracle of the Holy Spirit infilling humans is beyond what we can understand. But it's through the power of his name. Let's look at verses 13 to 14. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. I'd say that's unlimited possibilities. 
Do we really believe these verses? To be completely honest, I feel like my faith is almost too small to grab that. But my humanity wants to say, well, then I could ask for a million dollars or I could ask for this and God's just going to give it to me. That's not what Jesus is saying. When it says, if ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it, he means according to what his will is. If we ask for things according to his will, he will do it. So if my children know that I would like a job done, and they're like, Dad, we need to till the garden, but the tiller is out of gas. Could you get us some gas? Well, I'm going to get them some gas. That's what he's saying. If we ask for things that we know are his will to do, that he wants done, in his name, he will give it. He will do it. The problem is, I think sometimes we have a hard time understanding, A, what his will is, and believing that he will do it. But as I look at my life, I see times and happenings. It's easier to see them in reverse than sometimes when they're happening or looking ahead and believing he will do them. But I see things, I remember things that are completely impossible without Christ's intervention. Almost all of them, though, are on a spiritual level, not on a physical level. There are, have been times where God has met our needs financially or physically in some way, but we didn't know how it was going to happen. But the spiritual is much more important than that. So what is meant by asking in Jesus' name? And I covered that a little bit. That would be a sermon all in itself. We could talk about all the ways that filters into our lives. But the essence of that is what asking for things that are aligned with his will. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Do we understand the power available in Jesus' name? And I'd like to give three illustrations. I won't tell, there's a lot of things I'm missing, but there's three illustrations from the week, from the week during, from when we were nominated till we were ordained, ordination week we call it, that show the power of Jesus spiritually in our lives. And I imagine that you could probably give me some illustrations also in your life how this has happened. But like I said, that week is a very intense week spiritually. And I found in my life that when we're going through something moving in a direction that God has asked us to move, about to step out in faith in some way because God has asked us to, because he has led, Satan is almost always right there trying to resist that. So, first story had to do with me. Actually, I'll just give you how it happened. It was basically a spiritual attack on myself, and then it was a spiritual attack on my wife, and then it was a spiritual attack on our marriage. And I'll give all three stories. So the first thing was Tuesday. 
after we were, had been told that we were nominated and had gone through the questionnaire with the ministry about you know, our lives and if we're willing to go through with this, if this is what God's calling us to do, um, you do a lot of soul searching. And I was doing a lot of soul searching. I was working that day, Tuesday, and um, trying to process all that was happening. And we were on an excavation site, and I was in a ditch. One of the other guys was running the excavator, and all I was doing was I was running the stick. We call it running the stick. It was running a transit to tell him, you know, what level to dig the ditch. We were laying pipe, and so he was digging, and I was reading, for, reading a transit for him. We didn't, don't have a GPS excavator yet. And um, so it gave me a lot of time to think. I mean, it doesn't take a lot of work to just go along, take readings, and tell them up or down, whatever. As I was thinking, as I was in that ditch, thinking about what had been happening, and I thought about one of the questions asked by the ministry, by the bishops, in our interview on Monday. And that question was, do you have any undealt with sin in your life that could hamper your ministry? Or something close to that. Well, as I thought about that question, a wave of condemnation hit me that is hard to describe. There's a lot of things that have happened in my life. And it almost made me sick inside. I've dealt with many things in my life and certain sins oftener than others. And I suddenly felt almost panicky with guilt. And all those thoughts of past sins came flooding into my mind and like, you are not, there's no way, you, no, you can't do this. You've been way too bad of a person. And it was just about more than I could take. I knew that I'd been forgiven. That's not the point. Satan will destroy you if you let him. He will try anything, no matter how low, to destroy us spiritually. I was desperate. Like, now what, God? I realized that I was facing something a lot bigger. Thankfully, because of previous experiences in my life, I knew that this was not normal. I knew I'd been forgiven for those sins. So I simply prayed, Lord, if this guilt and condemnation are from you, then please show me how to go about dealing with it. But if it is not of you, Lord, please take this guilt and condemnation away. And it was like the sun just popped out from behind the cloud. It was just gone. That condemnation was just... There's power in the name of Jesus. That was a force that was Satan doing his level best to destroy what God was trying to do, what God wanted to do in my life. What a beautiful release. Only possible through what Jesus has done for us. And Wednesday, that was Tuesday, Wednesday, LaVon faced something similar. 
a cloud of fear, almost oppressive fear, of what we might face in the next couple of days, what might happen, what might be said, what the unknowns. She told me Wednesday evening what was going on in her heart. And I remembered what happened Tuesday. I said, you know what? I recognize this pattern. Fear is not of God. Because perfect love casts out all fear. So we went and we prayed and asked God the same thing. Lord, if this is of you, we're okay with it. You let it be. If it's not of you, we ask you in Jesus' name to remove it. And that burden was just lifted. So two very clear confirmations to us that God was working, he was in control, and we were in his will. Well, Saturday evening, LaVon and I were sitting outside looking at the stars and just kind of letting the stress of the week out, talking. And and this is being just not a little lot vulnerable here, but I think some of you all could understand. When we were outside just making small talk and kind of relaxing, when she said something out of the blue, just said something to me about something I'd said the day before. Now, please understand, when you're in that kind of stressful situation, sometimes you have things you have to work with through interpersonally in our relationship, and we had. We'd work through this. Sometimes my wife and I don't always feel the same way about certain subjects. It's okay. But when she brought this subject up to me, it was something we talked about the day before. We talked through it, worked through it. It's done and over. But she brought the subject up, and I was, what? where'd that come from? Because I thought we discussed it in full and was over and behind us. And it kind of made me upset. Not kind of. I was upset. It's like, I wonder, is she holding a grudge? What's, what's going on? Quite personally, I took what she said personally. And later on in the evening, she asked me if I was upset at her, because I can't hide that very well. And I said, actually, I am. Remember, this is Saturday evening, ordinations on Sunday. I couldn't understand why she brought the subject up. We cleared it the day before. Why'd you bring it up? Are you holding a grudge? I mean, you're not letting this go? What's, what's going on? Well, she said, well, you were just talking about it before I brought it up. I was floored. I said... No, I wasn't. I remember nothing of bringing that subject up. Nothing. I had In my mind, I had not brought it up, and all of a sudden she did. In her mind, I had broached a subject. People, Satan will stop at nothing to destroy our lives and our marriages and who we are in Christ. And we realized that was a direct attack. Satan trying to drive a wedge between us as a couple. 
and in that way to destroy what God was trying to do. Once again, we took it to the foot of the cross and claimed the blood of Jesus, and it was gone. There's power, unlimited power, in the name of Jesus. And when you are, when you are making a move spiritually that Satan doesn't like, or Satan knows is going to be detrimental to him and his what he wants, he's going to oppose you. But we don't have to fear. Don't let your heart be troubled. Jesus has already won that battle. In his name, we have all the power we need to face those powers of darkness. And sometimes I think we have a hard time recognizing that it's the powers of darkness against us. We take it personally from each other. And we, we look, it's, it's that person. In reality, it's Satan trying to destroy us. Trying to get at Christ. Trying to destroy what Christ wants to do. That power can overcome no matter what Satan throws in our path. That power is available to overcome now. And we think about it as we face things in life, we realize Satan is trying to destroy us. That power is there. But remember, that power ultimately, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, ultimately will destroy all evil. And I don't think that's very far away. If we can imagine a world with no evil, no anger, no temptation, no, no wickedness, that's what's going to happen. Are we availing ourselves of that power? It's available to us today. A final word of encouragement. Proverbs 24, verses 10 and 11. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Deliver those who are drawn toward death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. We have a calling. Hold back those that are stumbling to the slaughter. Those around us that are just bound up in Satan's devices and what he wants to do in their lives. Hold them back. We have all the power in Jesus' name to reach out and do that. We have a job to do and the power in the name of Jesus to do it. Let's be about the Father's business.